he was up at 5 a.m. I guess the overall discipline that's required to do that. And I carried that discipline through my life because it was something that I was introduced to at an early age. And there was never any mincing of words from my grandfather. If you want something, you have to work hard mm. for it. And I, that's probably a lesson that if I can impart anything to my daughter in this day and era, it's that achieving means hard work. Rarely in life do things come to you without putting forth the energy and effort required. Hey, this is Paul Sponsia from the IT Company, and welcome to the Made Right Here podcast. On today's episode, we are talking to Christian Clevenger of Integrity Labs. Christian's story is uh, so interesting. When you meet Christian and you listen to him talk about where he came from, not having a lot, uh, frankly, just growing up um, pretty well poor, and uh, finding these creative ways to make money, um, <laughs> taking out people's trash for them. And then also the thing that we love to hear is who influenced him. So you're going to get to hear about his grandfather and the profound influence that he made on his life. So have a listen to Christian Clevenger from Integrity Labs. Thanks, Christian Clevenger with, I think it is the Integrity Laboratories. That's correct. Yes, that right? yes, okay. yes. Thank you for having me, Paul. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. I'm glad you're here. Good I'm to be here. We know some of the same people. Just, just moderately irrelevant to the story, but how do you know Todd? So Todd and I go back a few years in a men's group that we joined together, mm -hmm. just walking through life together and walking through the challenges that life will throw you from time yeah. to time. And Was that CLC or uh, something? It was like CLC. CLC. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Local a CLC group of about 12 of us joined together and decided we were going to walk through a couple of years yeah. of life together. Cool. And it's, uh, it's interesting. It all boils down at the end of the day to relationships. And so yes. it's been great getting to know Todd and many of those uh, relationships that were formed during that time period, I, I still have. Cool. So that's awesome. It's great. Cool. So we're going to go, it's going to feel like a, some type of weird job interview here, but, <laughs> but we're going to go way back. Tell me like where are sure. you from? Sure. Tell us about your parents. Yeah, Just, sure. Where did you grow up? Stuff like that. Yeah. So I actually, I was born in Knoxville, Tennessee, and spent the first eight to 10 years of my life in Knoxville, okay. living in West Knoxville. And we lived off of Gleason Road and went to West Hills Elementary School, West Hills. And then shortly after that, my family, who was from Knoxville, decided to move to Sevier County. So moved to Sevier County at the tender age of eight years old. And uh, all my other family was here in, in Knoxville. Went to school, went to middle school there in Sevier County, and then went to high school there. Dolly Parton's alma mater up there. <laughs> and then Did Dolly ever show Dolly came a few times. <laughs> yeah. Lots. The thing about Dolly is she is extremely supportive of her community yeah. and, and her home. I got to be a part of a buddy system. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. All the kids that went through Sevier County partnered up with a buddy. And as long as both of you graduated, you got a thousand bucks. Oh, wow. So cool. it's a nice incentive to, uh, to stay in school. She was trying to get the graduation that rates. That was her thing. foundation. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. really neat. And I've got an eight-year-old daughter and she's been a been the benefactor of Dolly's book yeah. club. That we, she, we oh, great. That's yeah. fantastic. I don't think a lot of people know about that, do. that you yeah. can get books from imagination and, uh, library. great books too uh, she, she's done a really good job yeah. of partnering with the right authors and really trying to instill that early learning and that childhood development into reading which we all know is so critical I, for was, success. I was reading the toad on the log <laughs> there you go <laughs> to yeah. my son yesterday <laughs> there you <laughs> so, go 
So, and, uh, it, and also gets fun. us reading again, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, and gets into fiction can be fun. Yeah, it's really yeah. fun to the extent that you're open to it. Like, parents were they yeah. married, yeah. divorced? So, what was um, that like? my parents got divorced whenever I was 13. They, uh, my stepfather and my mother married at set when I'm seven years old. I do have memories of my stepfather, but also those memories of living with a brother that was three years younger than me and a single mom, and single mom that. Um, Worked a couple of jobs to keep the kids fed, and yeah. that, that kind of lends itself into my overall story, kind of having to grow up a little earlier than most kids yeah. that are that age. Yeah, tell me about that, because I read a little bit about your entrepreneurial spirit as a kid. But, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what did yeah. that mean exactly, growing up early, and what was it about? So from the time I can remember, I've always had this entrepreneurial spirit, and of course, we weren't calling it entrepreneurship back then. We were calling it survivorship, <laughs> yes. which I'm sure most entrepreneurs find themselves in survivor mode many times. Yeah. I know you do. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But it was one of those scenarios as a kid where I just, you know, I looked at money maybe a little bit differently than some kids mm. may have looked at it because of the financial situation I found myself in. But we didn't have a lot of means as a kid. Mm. And I guess you'd say I was an opportunist. I, I've figured out that by nature, humans uh, can be lazy sometimes. And I use that to my benefit. We would go to apartment complexes and my brother and I string him along, little guy, <laughs> and we'd knock on doors and we would just ask if folks would like to have their trash taken. And it's interesting because at first we, we didn't have a price for it. We'd just say for whatever you'd be willing to give us to do it. And so quickly, whatever the I learned, bear. yeah, quickly I learned, I don't want to rely on what the yeah. market's going to bear for this because I was doing a lot of it for a dime yeah. and dimes add up. But eventually we got to a 50% minimum on that, two or three bags of trash out. And the first time I ever used a sales metric was realizing that those that lived on the third story we're about seven times more likely yeah. to have someone else take their garbage Super motivated. <laughs> so we started at the top and we That's worked awesome. our way down. I what, was a seven-year-old kid. What, you know? Like, how do you come up with that idea? Is there, do you even know? <laughs> you, you, you just, you, you learn at an early age that money moves things mm -hmm. and you learn that you can do things yeah. with money. And when you don't have it, you, you start to think, how can you get it? Yeah. How can you do that in a way that is, that, that's God affirming to everybody and we're not breaking any laws. Yeah. And so I was a, a seven year old with a pair of legs and a couple of arms and had no shame in asking. <laughs> <laughs> did you split it with your brother or no? I did. Yeah. I don't know. I think it was a 70-30. Nobody had to come up with any capital for yeah. this idea. And certainly he did do his fair share That's of carrying. Awesome. So awesome. yeah, I cut it on it. Did uh, you guys read in there or in your in this little bio you gave us that was it to help your mom or was it just for your own purposes later on, or a little bit of a later on it, it became more of a, of a means to provide for my brother when we were kids going back to school needed school clothes and those types of things and so i think i was 13 when i actually entered into legally entered into the workforce and i worked for a wonderful program in Sevier County at the time called the Summer Youth Educational Training Program, SYETP. They had about 15 to 20 different jobs, and mine just happened to be cleaning the middle school that I went to all year long. Wow, okay. So I could get on my bicycle and ride up to the school in the, and, in the summertime, the yeah, when school was out, and learn how to buff floors and Learned how to get chewing gum off the bottom of a desk. Learned all those paint, but all that at, at, at that age. And it was nice to be able to help my mom at that point yeah. in time as school came back around and those costs began yeah. to accumulate. Mom worked a couple of jobs. She wasn't afraid of work. And 
I think that's where my work ethic originated. She, she walked a mile and a half, two miles to work when the car was down. And I have a lot of respect for her raising two boys, two hungry boys, I might add. And I read in there too, between that, there was something with basketball uniforms or something. Well, interesting. When we lived in the apartments, one of my neighbors, Charles Bright, I'll never forget him. He lived in the apartment complex next door to us. And his father-in-law, or his father actually, worked in a textile factory and was given a ton of fabric. And Charles and I looked at it and it was team colored fabric. It was, uh, it was green and gold. It was uh, North Carolina, UNC uh, blue and white. Yeah. And I said, Charles, I said, this is stuff that we could sew this up and we could sell this to the tennis players because they, what they were wristbands, you could make wristbands. They were just big enough to be able to trim them. And you, he would sew them and we'd flip them inside out and you could wear them as wristbands. And so at the time, there was an apartment complex called Capella, which is right across from Weigel's off of Gleason. Those that know Knoxville will remember Capella. That's Tiffany Square now, I think. Yeah, um, right across from what was uh, Concepts 21. Concepts 21, yeah. And I, we sold at Concepts 21, too. Yeah. Um, so we, <laughs> we, this was fun. We would take these uh, wristbands, and we'd, just, we'd show up at tennis courts. And they were $3 a pair or two for five. And uh, I think whether it be for sympathy or whether they just liked them or not, they were buying them from us because we'd run by and we'd see them wearing them out on the tennis courts. That's so, incredible. And I, here I am, seven, eight years old, walking around with $80 in cash in my pocket. And so... And this would have been um, back in the 70s. This was in the this is our early 80s. So it actually was 70s because it was 78, 79. Oh. That's wild. Yeah. My parents managed our pool for the apartment complex, and we had carte blanche to every pool <laughs> that was around because it was one of those things where if your parents managed it, there was this unspoken agreement. Each parent would allow each kid to go to any pool out there. Yeah. And so huh. we'd go from pool to pool. Just had a great, as challenging as it was, a, we had a great time. Yeah. Back when you could roam, you could leave at sun up, come back at sunset, and not have to worry about things. Had a great so, time. Yeah. Do you remember knowing at some point that you didn't have the means that other people did? Was it something that, like, I didn't know it and then all of a sudden I did? Or was it just like, I always remember no? I knew early. I hear a lot of people say we were all impoverished and none of us uh, were none the wiser. I knew a little earlier. Uh, we went to, at the time, West Hills, an affluent school. I was introduced to logos, as any child gets introduced to at the time, yeah. whether that be Ralph Lauren Polo or at the time was IZOD and mm -hmm. Lacoste and all these right. other things. And I was a kid in there with five-year-old Levi jeans. And, uh, and so you could look around yeah. and through affluency, you could recognize that something was different. Figure it out quick. Clear. Yeah. And there was tennis. There was extracurricular activities that were going on that we just, we knew not to ask. My no. brother and I, we knew that those weren't in our no. future. Yeah. I think I, I was aware of the disparity at an early age. It's interesting. People don't realize, although it's not coming back like crazy, that West Hills built oh. probably in the 70s, that neighborhood yeah. was probably. Yeah, it was very affluent. 60s, 70s, a really yeah, great neighborhood. Yeah, it, uh, it was a great neighborhood, and it's coming back around now. I've seen some of the housing prices in there. <laughs> Mind-boggling. It is. I had a contract on a house that had fallen through seven years ago in West Hills, and the house, I think, was 279 Wow. And the house is probably 550 Wow. You know, like, yeah. It's like I've seen some houses in there that are going for five, six, seven hundred thousand. It's unbelievable. It's insane. It's unbelievable. Going on over there. Good school when I was a kid going there. I remember having some great teachers, uh, Miss Goodman. I, I remember my teachers really well, some, some good teachers over there. Yeah, just a kid with uh, given a lot of rope to go and play and do the things you want to do. And so we walked a lot. Your mom still 
with us with she you? is yeah. yeah she's yeah she's 74 that it'll be 74 in march this year yeah still getting along okay living in in jefferson county talk to her a couple times a week that's great. trying to get her to come to knoxville but <laughs> i don't think that's going to happen once it gets that age you're like <laughs> yeah nah. yeah that's not <laughs> happening so what was were there things you mentioned middle school and high school in Sevier county and even the impression kind of some of the things that dolly was doing like what what was starting to shape you in those years? Was it work? What, were, were you getting into athletics, friendships? Like what type of things were starting to shape you? Yeah. So in, in my high school years, I really began to decide, I, I wanted to, to become a physician. I decided I wanted to go to medical school. I'd had some friends in high school. In high school. Yeah. And so I got serious about studies in high school and did well throughout high school. Had a had great teachers. Silver County has some wonderful teachers and then decided to, that I needed to be doing something in the way of sports. And I've always loved to swim. And so I started swimming. I started swimming on the team there at, in Sevierville and did year round swimming and then wound up swimming for a pilot aquatic club, did which you? yeah, pilot, they're gone now, but we all know the pilot was a great, great year round team to be on. Good it's circuit. Called people. Now. I, yeah, it is. Yep. Sure is. And swimming, for those that know the sport and certainly those that participate in the sport, it's a self disciplined sport. You're it you are you. It's a one man team. Yeah, we're all a team at the end of the day and we're all vying to win, but they're individualized sports. And the pool, I still use it today. It's where I it's my think tank. I get in it today and start swimming and you just forget about everything else and focus on what's important to you. I spent a lot of time as a high schooler in the pool, just mapping out what do I want to do in life? Where, where do I want to go? What are my goals? And I had some family members, distant family members that had been in, involved in medicine and it just seemed like something I wanted to do. I, I love the idea of providing help to people in some form or fashion and also getting compensated fairly to do so. It, it seemed like a good option. Tell me a little bit about swimming because year round swimming requires money. And yes. time yes, and it transportation. Does. It does. <laughs> so, all three so of them. So how'd you pull it off? So I got a scholarship for okay. swimming. And oh. I, I remember uh, there were... So Pilot had like scholarships. That you Pilot had some scholarships. Okay. And my coach, I told him, I said, I love doing this. It's a lot of fun. I just don't know how long I'm going to be able to do it. And then I, I started driving early. I remember my first car, I saw an advertisement. It was in the paper. It was a 1966 Galaxy Ford 500. It had four doors and you had to start turning the steering wheel about a block before you were going to make your turn. That thing was incredibly large. I joke and say I took half of our swim team to state meet in it my senior year in school, but started driving, was able to, that's really when I think things opened up for me in terms of opportunity. Mm -hmm. When you can transport yourself from one place to another it's a big difference. And so being able to do that, making the early morning swim practice and then the late day swim practices. And if you're in Sevier County, you're having to come to Knoxville. Fortunately, too. they actually had a chapter in it Sevier did. County. We, we did okay. the same workouts. Yeah. Okay. Same workouts there at the Sevier County. I, I guess it was at the time, it was the, is it the convention or the aquatic club? I don't remember at the time, but great hmm. pool. It was a Olympic style pool that was set up there. They had all the facilities, wonderful place. But it gave me that ability to move and yeah. to get around. And if you were, just if I could map this out, if you were swimming, car, like you're working. I am. Swimming, yeah. Yeah. going to school. Yes. Like yes. you were yeah. like filled up. I had a job at a restaurant. I was, I was a, started out as a busboy there, waited tables there. 
And then as a second job that I did on the weekends, I worked at a fireworks store, the fireworks supermarket, right off off, off of exit 407. <laughs> Had great one. benefits. <laughs> Could get some great stuff to benefits. blow some stuff up. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, we always got a 50% discount That's on everything. Awesome. And it was fun. Yeah. We had a good time cool. doing that. When I first started that job, I was actually walking to work. I didn't have a car at the time and I was doing it on weekends. And we were about, as the crow flies, as they say, it was about a mile and a half away. Only problem was you had to cross four lanes of interstate traffic to get to it. I did that for about a year and a half to save my money. Crazy. And then was able to eventually buy the car and have more access. I'm fascinated by your ability to, like at such a young, was somebody teaching you any of this stuff or was this just purely you figured this out? By I, saying, hey, Christian, I, you need I, to save money, you need to do this, you need to do that. or was My just grandfather. Like, my grandfather okay. was that beacon in my life. He was, he had a farm over Your in Strawberry Plains. My, my mom's stepfather. Stepfather. Yes. He had a place over in Strawberry Plains and. At an early age, my, my grandmother has had always been in my life. I joke and say we were uh, we were a gallon of milk away from starvation, and Grandma would make sure it would make it out onto the doorstep <laughs> so it just show up. She was great. She was there for myself and my brother when things got really tight in the family, yeah. and so much so that at one point my grandfather wanted to adopt me and allow me to live with them. Yeah. But he had a farm, and I remembered that. My grandfather, he was one of those guys who always had the answers, always was prepared for anything that comes along. You know, those people in your yeah. life that you're like, man, how does this guy Listen know all of this? Farmers, man. Unbelievable. <laughs> knows it all. Knows <laughs> when it's going to rain. Yeah, knows it's the guy could predict the weather. He yeah. could tell you everything. Spent some time on the farm with him. And really, I think through some conversations and through certainly some action work with him, bailing hay, stacking hay, suckering tobacco. You learn a lot from that. You first and foremost learn you don't want to do that for the rest of your life. <laughs> it's very motivational for college. The other things that you learn is that it takes work to make anything. And it takes sometimes a lot of, it's hard. You, particularly in, in farming, whether it's cattle that you're raising or whether it's plantings that you're doing, there's a process involved as well. And that process is followed pretty strictly in order for you to gather the yields that you're expecting, or if it's the cattle, to get it to the weight that you want it in order to move it. I learned a little bit about process there, and I also learned about hard work there, and also learned about the true value, I felt, of money, of a dollar. Mm -hmm. My grandfather in a secondary life was an auctioneer, and so he taught me a lot about the value of things, what willing owners would pay for that, and so the disparity seeing things moving at an auction versus a retail price for them is can be as much as 95%. A gift. Yeah, great gift. Uh, Backbreaking hard work, yeah. but the conversations that, that came after the hard work over the lemonade on the front porch, <laughs> yeah, cool. yeah, worth every penny of it. I think it's interesting too about farming and you know, what you're saying. Like I think you said it takes cultivating, doing things to get a yield. There's a lot of science. I think I'm always amazed now looking back at those men and women and like what they learned they may not have fully understood the science that it was science mm -hmm. but there was so much science behind changing like the way that you turn the ground and rotating crops and yes. when to plant and what yes. to plant yes too much rain not enough water i just think it's really fascinating like you said like there's so many lessons there are just the he's, he was up at 5 a.m i guess the overall discipline that's required mm -hmm. to do that and 
I carried that discipline through my life because it was something that I was introduced to at an early age. And there was never any mincing of words from my grandfather. If you want something, you have to work hard mm. for it. And I, that's probably a lesson that if I can impart anything to my daughter in this day and era, it's that achieving means hard work. Rarely in life do things come to you without putting forth the energy and effort required. Let's just, again, using science and physics and all those yes. other things, like there's just inputs to get outputs. Yes. There's whatever yeah. it is, force or anything else. It's sitting still generally doesn't produce anything. There's you a, need inertia. Yeah, inertia <laughs> is very important. So. I assume he's passed and your grandmother's passed yeah. too. Yeah, uh, my grandmother passed 11 years ago last week. Yeah, so. Pretty long yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. She lived a, a full great gal. I think about her about every day. Her and my grandfather, great people. That's cool. And what happened to the farm? So the farm was sold shortly after the passing of my grandmother. Okay. Yeah. It's always too bad to yeah. see those things go, but what are you going to do? Be a farmer? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> he picked it up a little late in his yeah. life, so who knows? So was he or her, either one of them, encouraging you t towards college? Because I think a lot of that era was pushing away from, hey, you don't want to do this. You want to move towards this other thing. Were they setting you up for that? I think my grandparents were probably a little a little ahead of their time. The conversation that my grandfather were having with me is, what do you want to do? What do you truly want to do? I think he had a storied life. And when you, in terms of his career, he had a wonderful career before he ever started into farming fully, full-time. But when, when you think about the adage that if you find something that you do that you're passionate about, you'll never work a day in your life. I think that was what was behind his motivation of continuously asking me, what do you want to do? And he said, you can't create a path or a roadmap until you figure that out. And so he pushed me to determine that a lot. And, I, and it probably drew me closer to medicine faster because I knew I needed to come up with what I ultimately wanted to do and then begin to formulate a path to achieving did you have any proclivity to things that would make you good at some type of medical or scientific profession? Were you good at science? I or? was very good at science. Okay. Yeah, it came I, natural? It, it did. I really enjoyed it. I It was something that I learned later in life that I was good at. I'd never really applied myself until high school and enjoyed doing it, enjoyed the really all of the pathways, whether it was engineering, it would open up doors for engineering, it would open up doors for anything in the scientific world, whether it be R&D, research development, whether it be being a physician, a pharmacist, whatever that might be. There's just so much that you can do when you have a, a strong background in, in science. Yeah, that's why I think the STEM programs are so important to stimulate some of that in kids. I think a lot of us realize that we would have been good at something yes. a little too late. Yeah. To, not in my case, but I just think there's probably some stuff we're trying to do it with STEM and stuff like that to really kind of stimulate some of that thinking. You're probably rare since you, that you were figuring it out in that era. A little later. You know, yeah. yeah. A little Figuring it out a little later in terms of, of being 15 years old and then deciding, hey, chemistry is kind of cool. Yeah. This is not, I, this is interesting. I like was there anybody in school, teachers, anything that were recognizing that and pointing you in a direction? I had a couple of teachers that, that, did, that did speak to me on multiple occasions. Interestingly enough, one was in mathematics, in geometry and mm -hmm. in mathematics, and I really didn't have a, an interest in math. It wasn't that it was easy for me. I just, I didn't have to work hard at it. Yeah. Science was one of those scenarios where 
it was easier for me, but I couldn't get enough of it, if that makes sense. I, I wanted, wanted to, to learn, learn more and more of it. Math, just wanted to get through the finish line. <laughs> I feel you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good thing we have people that love math, yeah, right? for sure. Those engineers, <laughs> God bless them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. So all this is culminating, right? You're, sure. Think you're going towards your senior year in high school. I see you went to UT. Was that already like senior year of yeah. going to UT or yeah. was there anything else? So I did a year at Walter State prior. I got a scholarship to go to Walter State. Okay. Uh, so freshman year. Freshman, went State, yeah, okay. I went to Walter State and then transferred to UT after that and finished up at UT there. So that is that transition. That So from going to UT early on and kind of learning about more about medicine and more about the practical side of it. And practicing medicine, as we all know, has evolved in the last 25 years. Physicians struggle to, to practice medicine the way they did 25 years ago. That's all I'll say. Um, it's tough. There, there are many more facets that surround the day-to-day -day practice for medicine which is part of the bigger story of Integrity Laboratories. And we'll talk about that, I know, at some point in time. But I got in. You went to go to be, you, like, you I, started I was going, on I'm the track. Be a physician. Yeah, I was on the pre-med track okay. there. And so a lot of biology. Lots of biology, or organic chemistry, physics, and all the sciences. And I was out one evening and saw a friend of mine that I graduated high school with. And You're I was, in college at the time. I was time. in college okay. at the time. I said, Howie, what are you doing? He goes, oh, man, I'm working for this really cool tech company out of Knoxville. He goes, tech company. And this would have been 1993. Yeah. I said, tell me about it. He said, it's a, it's cellular and it's brand new and like wireless. Yeah. So, like your cell phone is this company called Cellular One. <laughs> and I'm like, One? what is this? I don't understand. So then he started we started talking more and, and I would see him from time to time. And I said, Hey, you need to talk to your boss. I'm, I love sales. I'd love to do something like this. And he got me an interview with, which at the time was a guy named Doug Gray, who owned a company called cellular sales here in town. And Tom Pfeiffer. Yeah. It's behemoth. <laughs> uh, Dane has done a phenomenal yeah. job of growing it. And, and all those partners have done a wonderful job of growing it. But at the time it was uh, two guys who had a little office over off 10,000 block of Kingston Pike with a little uh, sofa in it and a computer. <laughs> and they had a few mall leases. I said, you know what? I said, I, this is something that I'd really liked. It's new technology and it was a departure going straight through college. But at the time, I just I felt like it, it was an opportunity for me to take a little break. Plus, those guys at that era were making more than most physicians, a lot more <laughs> than most physicians from a monetary yeah. side of things. And so it is intriguing. The money was huh. intriguing to me. Yeah. The technology was intriguing to me. So I set out and did that. He left. So he like pushed took, the pause took a break. Yeah, took a pause. Okay. Huh. And How what year? That would have been 1993, 94, no, yeah. latter part of 93. So, so probably so junior fall semester. Yep. 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 And uh, I think I was just entering into my junior year okay. and that lasted for approximately eight years. It was a lot of fun. So like a pause, it an eight-year pause. An eight-year wow. pause. Yeah. I had, I decided I'm 
not certain that medicine is something that I want to do. I'd had more and more conversations with physicians and I just wasn't, I started realizing, do I want to get up and do that every day? Is it something that I want to go to the same place and do the same thing every day for the rest of my life? Learning more and more about the challenges that physicians were faced to practice good medicine, that turned me off a little bit. So went a different route on the technology side and uh, enjoyed it. Learned a lot from Dane and got to work elbow to elbow with him and the guys that built cellular sales. Certainly both Dane and Meg, incredible business acumen, have done a phenomenal job of, of moving that organization forward. And were you um, earning good money? Doing, doing like, very well. Like, yeah, yeah making do, a lot of money doing, doing very this. well. Yeah. And enjoying it as a really a stress relatively stress-free world. Were you, and um, you were doing sales? Doing sales. Okay. Yeah. Doing sales and just having a great time with really enjoying it. I remember Sailor one very well. When I first, uh, when I first moved, I moved here in 92. So I remember. You, yeah. Uh, yeah. That I, was. I, I bought a phone. When it started. <laughs> from them, yeah. Yeah. yeah so that's I when remember it started. Very company, well. Yeah. A uh, fantastic uh, organization and some luminaries that really picked that up and moved with it at an yeah. early phase because you never know what was going to happen with it. I think even the folks that were involved in it at the time were going, man, this is risky. It was you know, pretty speculative. It was. Yeah, Yeah, nobody really knew. It wasn't like it is today. He didn't, not everybody didn't carry a phone back in 1992. It was very rare that people had phones, actually. The the whole concept was that when you finish up your day at work and you go home, you're not going to come back in the next day and have a bunch of voicemails to return. Imagine. (laughs) Imagine that. Definitely didn't have text messages. No, no, definitely (laughs) did not. No, we didn't. So... Eight years, what happened? You just, was, that go, was, yeah. was it like a light bulb to go like back a, to school? Or? Like a flash. Met my B-wife while at Cellular Sales. Was she there? Uh, she was there. Not in the, not necessarily in a sales capacity. Okay. She did do some sales there. She was an executive assistant okay. to one of the owners there at the time. And uh, an attorney, right? She is an attorney. Okay. Yeah. And her dad was the general manager at Cellular One. Oh, okay. So he ran Cellular One and then Cellular Sales was at the time. A, a distribution network for site one. And so met her and I'm just an amazing person. All these amazing people have been put into my life. It's, it's just been incredible. It's cool. But uh, knew that it had, I was going to finish school. It, it was on my list. I just wasn't going to go back and do medicine. And so we got married after dating for about a year and a half, almost two years, about a year. We were dating for about six months. We were engaged for about a year, a little over a year, and then got engaged or got married. And the first thing was on my list, and certainly uh, her father, when I asked him for her hand, was, you're going to finish school? And I said, yes, absolutely, Mr. Dry, I'm going to finish school in night school. So I was working during the day, and then I was at, at Sailor One. At Sailor Sailor One. Yeah, okay. and then in the evenings, I was I was going to school, oh. and I was carrying about hours, 15 hours. Wow. And so Was she going to school, too? She was, yeah. Oh. She was finishing up her undergraduate degree. She's seven years younger than I am. And so she was finishing up her undergrad degree and we actually graduated together. It was really, really neat to get, to, get cool. to graduate together. Yeah. yeah. Cool. What degree did you end up getting? So that, that's an interesting question. So I go in and I speak to the equivalent guidance counselor in college and I said, Hey, what's the fastest <laughs> path just to, to get a degree? I want to get a degree. And she, she said, based on your background of all your science, psychology is going to be your fastest route. And so painstakingly, for me anyway, she started taking all of my science credits and applying those credits toward electives. 
And it was, oh. yeah, so I'm watching this organic chemistry go into an elective course and I'm like, oh my gosh. Oh, so then I had some core classes. Had all my electives taken care yeah. of. Yeah. Just had to finish the core class. It took me about a year and a so half. So you got a psychology years. degree. Got a psychology degree. Yep. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. Psychology with a, I didn't wind up getting a chemistry minor. Mine. Yeah. I yeah. didn't have to get a minor. Huh. Yeah. And so at this point, had you stopped the cellular sales or cellular one thing, or you're still like, so how does, I, how I was transitioning shape? at that point in time, started working. No kids yet? No, no kids at this point. Okay. No, we, my wife wanted to, Tracy wanted to go to law school and I said, Hey, I'd love to do law school. Let's do that. And then let's have kids because going through law school, baby could have been very challenging. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> challenging. It'd be real tough. She, she went to law school and I began working in the medical device industry, started locally, started with this organization called Advanced Neuromodulation Systems. And Which I think we have this one, your great organization. Really yeah. Perfect. Chris Chavez. Uh, Chris is the CEO, was the CEO of Advanced Neuromodulations at the time. And intriguing technology and really what it did for me was it was able, I was able to bring everything that I wanted to do together. I could have this sales side of what I love to do. And I could have this very high end technology, implantable technology that helped people. The heck is neuromodulation? Neuromodulation with your brain. is very interesting. It's uh, neuromodulation is growing right now. What it is, it's basically decoding or descrambling of certain signals that you would send to your brain and from your brain. Hmm. And so, for instance, the device, the platform that I worked on was for pain control. And what the way the device works is through a couple of relatively small needles you place two electrodes up into the epidural space. So you thread those up using some really specialized instrumentation in an operating room. Wow. And once those are placed where the physician believes that candidate or that patient on the table is going to get the most efficacious outcome, the best pain relief in this case, they then suture those under the skin to make sure they don't move. And then they implant this thing called a, a pulse generator. It's a small battery and it allows them to be able to turn the signal off and on. What was intriguing as being in the OR, and of course we had lots of training. We had months and months of training prior to ever going into an OR. But what we would do is we would wake that patient or the physician anesthesiologist would wake the patient while they were on the table. And then we would turn on the neurostimulation device and we would stimulate. And I've I very rarely ever as an individual had the impact that I had or had the feeling that I had seeing the impact that this had on a patient. We would have patients crying on the table saying, this is the first time I haven't felt that pain in my feet in oh, 10 wow. years. It's crazy. And so I knew this is something that, that I wanted to do. And I was very passionate about it, loved it, absolutely loved doing it. Neuromodulation has gotten a lot of notoriety in the last decade for Parkinson's disease. Okay. They use deep brain stimulation to control motor movement disorders okay. now. But the implanting these things in the actual yeah. different cavities of the brain? The, typically in the Broadman region of the brain, they, they'll go in and implant these electrodes in the brain. And there's some very talented neurosurgeons in this town, actually, that do quite a bit of that work. 
And uh, these patients do extremely well. You can see them when they're on their table, they have the spasm or they have the motor movement disorder. And then when you turn the system on while they're awake, they can literally hold a cup in their hand of water and not spill it. Wow. It, it's unbelievable. That is crazy. So for me, I looked at neuromodulation and all of the applications for the future and thought I could stay here and do this forever. There's so much science right now, so much R&D here just for helping people. Tinnitus, the folks that have their ringing in the ears all of the time, they're at the time when I was in that business, they were developing a product to control tinnitus wow. or tinnitus. And I'm convinced that as we continue to age, neuromodulation in some form or fashion is going to be a part of our future. Yeah, it's amazing what it's been really able to cool. do. It's, it, I think it started in the late eight, I'm sorry, late 1970s, early 80s. Very archaic devices For back sure, then, then, but it's come a long way. Yeah. I'd imagine what robots and arthroscopic and yes. things you can do now is just fast. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So this took my love of science. It took my love of sales that I had. And psychology uh, is like maybe the best thing you could do for sales. Oh, it is. <laughs> but it, it, it is. And for leading too, I think. Yeah, I There's, think it is. Because leading is just people. It's just people. Personality. At the end of the day, we're all people and we all have our own sets of things that we have to deal with. Life is there for us no matter who we are. So we all have to deal with it. Wow. How long did you do that? I did that as a sales representative for almost three years, and then I was promoted into a regional management position where I spent about three and a half to four years doing that, and loved the company, great culture in the organization, and then just as any time or most times when you have a great company with a great culture and your revenues are doubling annually, you get a suitor that comes along in the St. Jude Medical who manufactures pacemakers, defibrillators. They do all of implantable devices. They came along and acquired our company. We were, at the time, we were at about $350 million in revenue, and they acquired us at $1.2 billion. Wow. So Chris did well. Chris did very well. Yeah. Yeah. So Chris, Chris, Chris did well. I haven't heard from Chris in a while. Good for him. Yeah. <laughs> he, he did. He did. Chris gave his heart and soul to that organization over the course of a decade. Wow. And a Harvard grad who, much of myself, grew up in a family of 11 and worked really hard to get into or to get into Harvard, wound up going, uh, getting his MBA at Harvard. And then I came right out into Johnson's burn unit and started managing in the burn unit and then became a free agent about five years later and was pulled into this neuromodulation thing. So he didn't, he wasn't one of the founders or inventors. He was He got pulled in to run it and build it and grow he it. He did. Huh. Yeah. He, he got pulled in to grow it and he did a phenomenal job. And Chris was a, he, he was a hardworking guy with smart guy, obviously, but his work ethic, again, we're talking about work ethic, right? Earning fantastic job with that. I mentioned a couple things you alluded at the beginning to CLC. So at some point, faith got woven into your, like, where did that come into your life? Was that as a kid, was as an adult? Like what, where did that enter your life? One of the things that my mom always did with us boys is had us in church. We, we were, from the time we were kids, we figured out a way to get to church on Sunday. And I love that about my mom and the fact that she built that foundation for us. We, the two of us, my brother and I, would be Wednesday nights. We, do, we were Baptist and we'd do the twice Wednesday night Sunday. thing twice on Sunday, whatever <laughs> it took. For, the doors are open. That's it. That's it. That's it. And so it was woven in at an early age yeah. and really... About the time I married my wife, I was reacquainted, if you will, with God and just had you know, an incredibly successful, adventurous several years at cellular sales. And you start 
look at marriage and then which ultimately you think you're going to build a family. And then you begin to start thinking about those things, your yeah. relationship with God, those yeah. things that really matter in life. And my wife was a was also a big part of that reintroduction, if you will. Great gal, like me as a kid at church every Sunday. And so she always had something. She, You could just see it in her eyes and still does. You can tell that, that Christ lived inside, lives inside her. Great. Yeah. And so great witness for me to to re-engage in that and just a, a, an incredible person. That's cool. Yeah. That's really neat. That's a neat part of it. All right. That was one thing. And how is your family woven into this? Like your grandfather, your grandmother, your mom, like they're watching from afar. Are they, is there, what's going on? Are they like, holy cow, like, are they upset you didn't finish college? <laughs> was that an awkward moment of, hey, grandpa, like I'm doing this thing and I know it's a little bit different than we talked about. Yeah, and trying to explain a cell phone to my grandfather the first time is because he was a radio. Sell what? Yeah, well, he had a little. Yeah, you're gonna do what? This bad, right? He was a ham radio operator, so he had uh, some idea. You know, okay. what we long wave radio. Tech, um, he understood the he got, technology. He, and he stuff did. Like. He got it. He was a. He, he said, "You love to see you finish school. That's important. You've told me that's important to you many times, and I committed that I would finish school. It was one of those things where." Whenever I was able to share with him how I had been blessed financially yeah. through working there and doing those things, and those doors were still open for me if I had ever decided to move in that direction, he understood. He was like, oh. He understood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he understood. I understand. Too. I went through, I, if anybody knew me in high school, certain that I would have been an attorney <laughs> and not. And, and I would, and my mom was super upset about it. And I was like, I'm doing okay. You're doing okay. <laughs> don't worry about me, mom. Like Things gonna, are okay. It, it's going to yeah. be okay. The yeah. At this point, the yeah. degree is not really that important. That's right. <laughs> so, that's it. That's, that's it. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah. All right. So how do we get to integrity? Where, how does this, how does the story go? So we're, we've done, they got sold. You're married. Yeah. Your daughter is not on the scene yet or is not she? Yet. Is? Not yet. No, okay. Not, so not we're, quite. We're, yeah. how do we get to, is there anything in between? Or how do we so there is, yeah. During the, the acquisition with St. Jude, I had to stick around for a little while. I had some options that were maturing at the time. Stuck around there. And then I began getting recruited from a couple of different startup companies out in Palo Alto. Hmm. And really unique companies with great technology. And I knew the people. They were people that I had worked with at St. Jude or at ANS at the time. Good management structure, come with a some risk involved. Mm -hmm. Newer technology does in the medical field, as we anybody that's been in it knows that, that it takes a while for adoption to occur in that industry, not just from the physician's perspective, but also from the payer's perspective. I had a chance to go out and visit a really unique organization out there with, with this very intriguing technology and wound up coming on board with it mm. and very run company. The, they had some challenges in, in getting their product adoption on the East coast. And I was trying to help with that East coast adoption and spent about two years trying to help them get to that point. And then along the way, we went through series C through D and then E was forthcoming and you could see that they were getting diluted quite quickly and you could also read the tea leaves and decided that it was time for me to take my time at professional school. Went to, did the executive MBA program, uh -huh. spent about close to two years. Did you stop working? Or so we, my wife and I had started this small medical company called ProMedCo. Okay. 
that we were running. And it was just a small startup distribution company okay. for, there were smaller companies that had unique technologies, but they, they didn't either didn't decide they, they didn't want to hire a W-2 sales force. Mm -hmm. So we acted as distribution channels okay. for some now well-known companies that we were on the front end with. And so I said, you know what, if, if I'm going to be going to school and learning how to build a great organization, let's build our own. And so I took the helm of ProMedCo and uh, we grew it over the course of about three years. And while I was going to school, there was some flexibility in that. She's working there too? She's actually, she she's working somewhere? there as okay. well, but she's also doing some work on the side okay. as well okay. to keep, Does keep she ever cash flows. practice? Like if with a law firm right now? Non-traditional, only non-traditional. She didn't go she, work for a big firm and start the traditional. She clerked with a couple of okay. them, but never went in. She's been corporate counsel for both the companies okay. that, that we've opened up. So we've uh, been very fortunate. Yeah, got to work together to, too. That's kind of It's been cool. great to work together. Yeah, yeah it awesome. really has been. So ProMedCo, a great organization. We hired, at one point in time, we had about seven sales reps. So we were growing. One of the product lines that we had was a laboratory product. And it was a neat, unique product, wasn't a lot of competitive or competitors at the time for the product. And so we were very intrigued and it was our number one selling product. By far, it led our sales in our organization and was, had the most demand. And so we decided that based on some of the marketing activities that were going on within this company that we were representing, that we probably needed to distance ourselves from it. So we stepped away. It was hard to do that, but the way they were doing things just didn't line up. This with, laboratory. This lab. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It just didn't line up. And of course, from Tracy's background, being an attorney, mm. you know, she was able to see some of the early pitfalls and basically, she just said, this is not good for us to be mm. in, entwined with this. We set out to form our own company and to do things the right way. So this was like, you saw what they did and you're like, there's a better way to do it. Better way to do it. From a business perspective. A, yes. And that's the birth of integrity? That's the birth of integrity. Which yeah. would probably match the reason that's named integrity. That's why it's integrity. <laughs> yep, yep. That makes sense. Yep, very okay. insightful. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Huh. We wanted an organization where clinicians could use our services and never have to worry about looking over their backs for any reason. We followed the letter of the law from start to finish. And, and that, that probably from a business owner's perspective, we all enter into business thinking we were going to do things the right way. And we all have, most of us anyway, have that intrinsic honesty or transparency. And it was an odd thing for us to see it moving in a different direction. And particularly difficult because I knew the founder of the company and had conversations founder to say, hey, there's 400% growth. Is that not enough? We can do this in a different way. That's been almost nine years ago when we began to form integrity. And neither one of you are, are technically scientists. Not technically. <laughs> so no. Like, this was your no. passion and love earlier. It was, it was the love and the but pain. But you're used, presumably, to start a lab, you need uh, scientists of. Or whatever the category would That's be. It. Yeah, yeah. And I went out on a fundraising tour, spoke to some angel investment groups up in Michigan and worked. Obviously, we had some family that believed in what we were doing and we raised the capital. It was, to see, this is 22. So we're talking about eight years ago. So we're talking about... 14. 14, or, no, yeah, 13, 13, 13. Well, latter yeah. part of 13, we secured the funding. 
And the first thing that we did was we went and found a PhD that, that knew what we were doing and that, that understood what we wanted to do. And we loaded them up with options. We yeah. loved to have you come <laughs> join us. They can't pay a lot, but we can give you a high upside. We should, <laughs> your upside's there. As this ship rises, so shall you. Yeah. And did a really first year, a great year, first year. Second year, there were some FDA changes that came along that, that changed reimbursement for our product. So yeah. next couple of years were challenging got through it, had the right people in place, allowed us to be able to expand our offering, pulled in some additional product lines. That was Christian Clevenger from Integrity Labs. Stay tuned for the second episode where we're going to talk about uh, integrity and some of the challenges of running a lab during COVID-19 and what it looks like uh, with hiring, and especially when you're hiring such smart people like PhDs. So thanks again for listening.